Yvonne Dagger. Let's get howling. We're delighted to welcome Stephen Latham to our second episode of season two of Howling Talent. Stephen is an award-winning filmmaker and president of Stephen Latham Productions. He began his production company with a biography series called Living Century, which he created with Barbara Streisand. Stephen and I have been great friends for many years now. It's an honor that he has taken the time out of his busy filming schedule to chat with us today. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. It's a it's a pleasure. Anytime I can talk about animals and be with fellow animal lovers, uh, I'll be there. <laughs> Great, <laughs> Stephen. Um, I just want to begin by by um, by asking you. Um, you obviously had a passion for animals, and you've always mentioned this, and humans as well. Um, the Living Century is a biography television series that premiered on PBS with each episode of the half hour series documenting the life of someone who was over 100 years old. What prompted you to delve into such a subject? So I, I was fascinated by the idea of um, people that had this experience of basically living an entire century and what they could tell us. And I, to be honest with you, I was at a supermarket and um, I was in line and there was an older gentleman in front of me and we started talking and and then I just said, I go, how, how old are you? And he goes, 101. And it just, it just, wow. knocked, it just knocked me off my feet. It's like this guy was vibrant and um, a joy to speak with. And I think in our society, people with, um, well, first of all, people with gray hair or people with, um, <laughs> that make it a certain age become almost become invisible. And we don't value and respect wisdom. <laughs> and I was um, fascinated to kind of hear their perspective because when I made this film series, we did a, an entire series. They, they were such amazing stories. It almost sounded like fiction. It was the oldest player from the Negro baseball leagues. It wow. was the last survivor of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire in New York City. It was uh, screenwriters who used to write for silent films. I mean, it was just, you know, the story's almost like you couldn't even imagine um, that the time they grew up, um, there weren't even 50 states yet. Plastic wasn't invented. Zippers weren't invented. You know, there wasn't even a thought you could go to the moon. So all of a sudden, these people that were born in a certain time made it all the way to the society of modernity and <laughs> they just had these incredible stories to share so I, it, it all started with anything in my life always starts with curiosity then i sprinkle in a little bit of passion and then i make great stories <laughs> that other people want to hear and, and see the perfect filmmaker <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so so that is that's incredible how, how did you how did you find these people? Um, did you did you Google them up? Did you how did you how did you do it? So, in, in the very first person was this um, this woman um, 
whose name was Rose Friedman, and she was the last survivor of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. And uh, and I had read about her um, in some books, and I had read some magazine articles. And, and at the time, I was working, uh, my office was in Beverly Hills, and she had been in New York for, I mean, she she grew up in the hung, uh, Hungarian, hung, Austro-Hungarian Empire, so it wasn't even two countries at the time. So again, it was, again, wow. just back at a time that was incredible. But so I, I literally uh, Googled her and a name popped up that was on literally the same street that I worked on. And I had no idea if it was the same person. But during my lunch hour, I, I stopped by and picked up some flowers and I went to her apartment. I oh. knocked at her door and she uh, she opened the door and she was like, who who are you? And I explained and I said, and she goes, I'll have my daughter call you. And lo and behold, 200 yards away from my office, from the person I was looking for, um, uh, was the woman that that I that I had wanted to to feature in my film, so it was it was unbelievable. Wow! And um, a lot of the stories were uh, people from um, asking for, do you know anybody with um, a backstory? Or we were call, we were con contacting uh, veterans associations mm -hmm. because we got people that were like that were fought in the front lines in World War One. Wow. So, um, so it was really kind of a whole kind of combination of researching it, reading a, reading a, a story in a book, a magazine, online, hearing from friends. And I mean, then that's part of producing, which is sometimes it's a daunting task, but it's um, finding the best stories or just finding someone um, that is, you know, ready to tell a very compelling story that um, that's sure. had a really rich life, not just lived to a hundred, but, you know, had something that they either touched history or made history. Mm -hmm. And that was what the, uh, what I was looking for in that particular project. It's so incredible they lived in a how different world, yeah, really, didn't yeah. they? I mean, to yeah. go through all that time uh, frame, and it's, it's just a completely different. <laughs> I know, different, I know. We we just um, there there was a fellow who, who um, a fellow who we knew uh, for many many years who just passed away. He was ninety five, and uh, you would never know that he was ninety five. He was he was actually driving up till Thanksgiving of this year, and. Wow. But he wrote twenty books. Wow! And he was he was just um, a, a professor in a college, and he just was. You would never know because he was so um, humble and and quiet, and you you know, just a, a a person who you would never have even guessed had written twenty wonderful big books about. Um, his heritage and um, you know what he how he grew up and all of this it, it's such an interesting subject um, Yvonne, can I add one thing to that you know the one because what you just, because we, so we featured one of the other kind of themes that I found just fascinating observing I don't really have an answer as to why but I just found it really interesting was that we featured a person named Robert St. John, who was a famous war correspondent. He was like Edward R. Murrow's counterpart. And he had written over 20 books. And he was he was a rock star at the time. He was the first person to announce wow. the ending of World War II. I mean, it was he was wow. so well known, but he he outlived his fame. He was basically nobody knew who he was by the time he got past 100. And I found that fascinating that you could be so well known and almost become anonymous at the end of your life mm -hmm. and I mean I think it just says a lot about you know how fast-paced everything is but I mean this person was had such a rich life and rich history and by the time he got to you know his senior years and he was completely lucid it was just that um you know 
the world moves really fast. And yeah, um, sure. Life, but you had mentioned moves. you had mentioned before that you that sometimes they're invisible. They 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 become invisible. Yeah. You know, and I think that that theme of invisibility and no voice and is 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 kind of a thread through your whole that's something that i follows you and your passion for filmmaking through the rescue part of what you do and um and and it just is 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 a very interesting thing to me um what is the most important message that you took away from working with these centurions well, one of one of the uh, stories is uh, one of the my sort of the, my takeaways was that um, everyone has a story. I mean, everyone has a story, and even if it doesn't, if even if it's not, um, you know, a, a rich enough for a television show, sitting down with people, we 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 had a curriculum. I mean, Yvonne, you're an educator. You go into schools and libraries. Um, is one of our uh, parts, we had these films that were used in history classes um, throughout the country. And a big part was that um, kids, students were tasked either to talk to a relative or someone in their town uh, and interview them and get to know them and have a conversation with them. And it was beautiful because it was about connection too. Yeah. yeah. And, mm -hmm. and about just having, and, but people, um, people have a wonderful story to tell. And a lot of times, especially with an older generation, um, they're not told unless you ask them. Yes, they're not, yes. um, they're yeah. not out there and, you know, doing selfies and, and, and doing Instagrams and doing TikToks. They're very, you know, it's a, there's the older people from a different generation and they have beautiful stories to tell, but they're not going to come and be in your face and say, let me tell you about, but <laughs> when you sit down with them and ask questions, um, it's, it's something we need to do more. You know, we yes, need, especially definitely. as older generations, um, there's an epidemic of loneliness and not having connection. And it's really simple, whether you go to a senior center or talk to your neighbor or talk to a relative, just to spend a few minutes and um, and 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 do a little bit more listening than talking. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely, without a doubt. Oh, well, as a filmmaker, you touch on subjects that give hope, uh, but you also educate. Can you explain to us what your role as a storyteller is when you describe yourself as making the invisible visible? So I my big um, the DNA of a lot of our stories is that um, change uh, comes from inspiration and not desperation. So we love to elevate people. We love to elevate stories. We, um, when, when we have elements of hope, we don't shy away from challenging subject matters or stories that are, have elements of sadness to it. But we always want, uh, because that's the way I live my life. I, I, I have, I'm optimistic. I have a lot of hope. Um, and I want people to, um, you know, to, to go on these rides of these stories and to, to really enjoy them. And, you know, I'm always um, thinking like that a really good film, a really good documentary will take you places that you've never been. Yeah. But, but I always yeah. feel like a great story will take you places you didn't need to know that you had to go to. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so we've taken, you know, we've done these stories um, and I like to use, um, apart from the living century, I like to use um, stories about animals to um, to talk about 
larger subject matters, whether they be social issues or whether they be story about wild horses and their plight. But I like to use, I like to tell stories that have that get people connected to animals because I think they teach great lessons, but they also, um, that human animal bond is probably the, the space that I'm working in now that I'm absolutely most interested in, in filmmaking, mm -hmm. storytelling. Yeah. So, so Stephen, on that same note, your PBS series, um, Shelter Me, celebrates that human animal bond by telling incredible and uplifting stories about people and their pets. Dagger, my husband and I were honored to be featured in two of your episodes, The Art of Kindness and your upcoming episode, Dog Mountain. Um, Howling Talent has many international listeners. Um, can you explain to our listeners how you first discovered Dog Mountain and what exactly it is? Yeah, and Yvonne, it's been wonderful working with you. You are, you are, I consider you one of the one of the stars of my series. So oh, thank you. Steve. So I really, uh, I really appreciate it because your 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 story and the work you're doing and your um is incredible and your um your your heart is is always in the right place. So oh, you know you were the stories that we told with you have been really valuable for for our series. Um, so Dog Mountain is a story that's coming up. It's going to be um, on PBS later this year and then online on um, on the PBS uh, you know website as well this year. And okay. it's a very personal journey, but it's a it's a film that I think a lot of um, a lot of your your listeners are going to um, relate to. So um, in you know last year, um, I had uh, lost you know a, a dog that meant everything to me. And it was, um, and it actually was um, only a couple months before Yvonne that you know that you lost Dagger. So you know, you and I were on a kind of a, a similar journey of losing um, you know pets that meant you know the world to us. And you know, and people every day are are losing you know uh, pets. Anna, you know, told me about her twenty year old poodle Tipper <laughs> that. Um, you know, that she had lost and, you know, and, and there's a profound grief when you lose a pet. And a lot of times, you know, you tell your friends and family and, you know, they obviously understand, but that grief doesn't, doesn't go away. And so I'm part of my personal journey. Uh, people sent me, um, a couple of friends sent me a, said, you know, you should check out this place um, in Vermont um, called Dog Mountain. And I, I'd never heard of it before. So I, I looked it up and I started talking to the people there and I found out that it was um, uh, 150 acres of dog paradise and oh. they have hiking trails, they have ponds, they have, um, it's a place of joy and a place where you bring your pet and your families and it's just in, in this the most bucolic setting in Vermont, in Northern Vermont. And, but they have a chapel on the property and what happens is people make this pilgrimage to go there and they when they've lost a pet it's a it's a very healing place where you can post photos of your pet you can do drawings you can um write poems write letters and the it's the the 20 foot walls there's not a space on there and people just wow. tape uh or pin over and over it so it's about you know 
two feet thick <laughs> of, <laughs> of, 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 and it's, but you walk in and, um, and Yvonne is part of this episode because part mm -hmm. of the journey was um, to acknowledge that grief of losing dagger. Um, and then she brought, she welcomed another dog into her life, which is one of is a very strong message that I want people to get is that Yvonne didn't try to replace Dagger with her dog Barney that she adopted, but 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 she welcomed another dog into her life, and that to me is the absolute most the most beautiful way to honor a pet because you know we need adoptions. Shelters are really really full right now, so I mean I've, I'll, you'll hear me yeah, say definitely. a few times on this on this meeting that we need more people to adopt. <laughs> but um, but so Dog Mountain um has this beautiful place, so you go in there and and it you walk in, it just absolutely takes your breath away mm -hmm. because you just see, I mean, Yvonne says it in the film. She goes, this place is just full of love. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and yeah. it really, it really is. And so you, you're there um, and you're, you know, you have your moment and you can spend as long as you want there. And then you walk outside and dogs are just running around and jumping in the <laughs> pond. And, and yeah. then so through your tears, you're just smiling and laughing and, and, Someone from Dog Mountain had said that, you know, this is known, this is the the happiest place to be sad. Oh, what a lovely thing to say. Yeah. Which I yeah. thought was really beautiful. And um, so, you know, um, so Yvonne in the film, you know, um, does a really touching tribute to Dagger. Um, I privately did my own tribute to my dog. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, so it's it's an episode, um, there's a few friends, who it, it hasn't come out yet, but a few friends had lost pets. And mm -hmm. I sent them the link and I said, I think this, I think this episode is going to help you. And, and it did a lot. So yeah. I do think for people, um, and, and it's not this crippling sadness, because that's the other part of my films. When we talked about hope, mm -hmm. it's um, it, we acknowledge, you know, that deep loss, but we also, um, are, the message is about to make sure that you are holding um, gratitude and sadness uh, in your heart at the same time. So at you're not the same time. And, so and, right. and, and you also you also tackle the um the the subject that is not really broached that often, and that is the loss, the loss of your beloved pet. Um, there's you know, there's sometimes a stigma that's attached to it that we're really not allowed to to feel real deep grief um with the loss of a pet. Because a lot of a lot of people, even to this day, still feel that, you know, the, it's just an animal, you know, that you shouldn't you should go back to work the next day and not cry and and all of that. And and we we talk about that in in the film, too, that it's OK. It's OK to feel that way. It's healthier to feel that way, to let it out, to go to a place like Dog Mountain and and to grieve and to be with like-minded people that feel the same way you do. So you don't feel um, strange or, um, you know, am I blowing this out of proportion, you know? So um, uh, it uh, to me, it was a healing experience. It was the most beautiful, wonderful, joyful thing that my husband Barney and I did together. Um, and Vermont is is I would say where St. Johnsbury, Vermont is. It's about twenty minutes from the Canadian border, which is pretty far from where we live. But <laughs> we enjoyed that trip tremendously and can't wait to go back again. You know, it was wonderful. So. Um, well, Yvonne, you know, wasn't the um 
you know, uh, tell Anna and listeners of what, you know, what you felt when you walked into that chapel, because you had, you had never been there before. So you walk in to that opening and then, I mean, what, what, what was, what did you feel? Well, I, like you said, I felt, I felt it was awesome. It was an awe inspiring moment. It was, it was love. There was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I can't even thousands and thousands of tributes to these pets from people from all over the world that come, as you said, pilgrimage to make a, make a, a trip. People that were standing next to us had traveled for miles to get there. And, and, to me, it was awe-inspiring. It was, I you feel the love, and you actually do experience a healing while you're there. And when you walk in and you see the pictures and the notes and the and the and the little drawings the children's children made with ceilings that were, as you said, 20, 20 feet high from top to bottom of maybe two feet deep. You you know, it, it, I've never seen anything like it before. Um, and it, to me, it was a, a very love-filled time. And I know Dennis felt the same way. Um, you know, we, uh, we went up there not knowing what to expect. And of course, Stephen did not let us in until... <laughs> <laughs> until they opened the doors for us to see our reaction. So that was my first time. Um, and it, it just, it was unbelievable. The letters and notes that people left were um, so heartwarming and touching. And, and you could, you could feel the hearts of every one of them on, on the walls. And you know, and that, personal relationship that we have with our pets um, just is, is just so apparent when you're there. And, and I think that's the other part, especially when people are feeling really vulnerable and, and are really sad is that they're like, okay, um, you know, we're anybody who decides to open up their heart and open up their home to a pet is going to become part of this club. That's and, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then, and then you, you're there and you realize that, you know, you're just, you're, you're with, like-minded people that are yeah. um, that, that really care about their pet and because the, the pet is part of the family and you just see all of these relationships and all of this love and it's um I think about it all the time I think about it all the time because it was a feeling I mean it literally took the breath away from me because I'm just so I yes. walked in it was just and it, you know again inevitably it's it, there is an element of sadness but again it's um it's you know, it's part of the human experience. It's, it's yeah. part of humanity and, um, and that compassion. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest with you with my series, you know, we always explore and part of the title of the first episode we did with um, Iman, the art of kindness is there is a little bit of a shortage of kindness right now in the world. We need, uh, we yeah. need a lot more of that. And, and I think, I think animals bring out uh, the best in us. I always, I've too. always felt that. And, um, and, and that's why too. these, these stories I love telling and, um, and, you know, people enjoy, enjoy watching these, uh, these and, episodes. And the other thing too, Stephen, was that there were people there that everyone, as you had mentioned before, has a story. Yeah. And everyone has a story that goes beyond even their pet. 
you know, my brother used to come here with his dog and this is his dog on the wall right here. And my, you know, and it just, it just, um, it is breathtaking. It is, it's, and, and the stories, every one of those pictures, every one of those letters, the love letters mm -hmm. were a life. Yeah. Yeah. A life. Wow. And there were thousands of them. So the vision of doing this and building this chapel was just to me brilliant. Just yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I agree. It sounds as thank you. It, it sounds as though it was a very calming experience as well, despite all the emotion um and the love which must hit you like a tidal wave um, when you first walk in. Um, it must also be very calming. You know, it, it is. It and is. one of the it things is. for um, that, that's in the film that, um, that I really love is um, Yvonne, who's a fine artist herself and not just, uh, not just her canines, but herself <laughs> is that um, she, she did a, a pencil drawing of dagger and um and put that on the wall and it wrote a really loving letter oh. to dagger and then um there's carvings because there's a, there's other artwork that the founder put into the chapel and put the red beret that dagger wore <laughs> on one of the uh on one of the carvings awesome. and then barney her new dog <laughs> um you know we go up to a little play yard and yvonne had never really done a, um taking barney off the off the leash before with other dogs and <laughs> barney is tearing around this play yard and so you know we had all these emotions we're laughing and crying and it was just this, um it's just this really it was really it amazing was. and that's what that's what dog mountain is um so you know yvonne and her husband dennis um got to have this experience and got to honor um you know, Dagger, who meant so much, who was such an integral part of their life, and mm -hmm. um, and then have this beautiful experience with Barney. So it was, um, yeah. it was love. I, I really can't thank you enough thank for, you. for for well, doing that journey with us. Well, I I thank you. It was it was the highlight of uh, of um, our year uh, in 2023 um, because it it just tied everything together and it did give me a chance to heal. Um, and and grieve and cry, um, <laughs> you know, just freely and not feel shame or that someone is saying something that, oh, she shouldn't be still feeling that way. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in grief never leaves you, um, but it, you're that you do heal as time goes on, but you must, must, must let all those stages flow and um and gather together and just you know uh you, you can't you can't you can't push them down into yourself. You have to let them out and you have to feel that grief and and whatever you feel, you feel. It's you know. Everybody you know what knows. I learned? I I learned that you know that grief is synonymous with love. Yes, you know, that, yes it is. that those feelings um, just are like that's just showing you how much you loved uh, that person or yeah. that you know, that pet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. That's right. 
That's right. And the different stages of grief don't just happen right after. They can happen years after, months yeah. after. Right. And uh, people That's need right. to respect the fact that everybody grieves in their own time frame, mm -hmm. uh, their own way. And there's no right or wrong. And if you don't believe that you can grieve for an animal, well, that's not something you then have the right really to portray onto somebody who's grieving. Oh, yeah. it's, uh, well, it's, so, it's so important to let somebody grieve. And as you say, that that is the start of the healing process. It never goes away completely. But, mm -hmm. you know, as Stephen said, it might actually give you the opportunity to go out and rescue another animal and another soul that needs it. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Well, I thank you, Stephen, for um, for for having the vision to be able to tackle this really tough subject. It is tough. Um, uh, yeah. It's really it's it, it 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 you know it gets to your heart, and people a lot of times they don't want to talk about it, and they you know they don't want to go there, <laughs> go there, you know, and um, but you you had the the bravery and the fortitude and the vision to see that this is really important. Um, this is really important to, um, to bring, bring awareness to, to help others. And you've already said, you've already helped so many other people um, getting through their grief, whether it, it be a person or uh, a pet or any kind of a, you know, an animal that you would you know and Yvonne I really um I appreciate you saying that because I mean that's why you know I do make these stories is to is to help people and um but one of the things is with this episode because I know a lot of people you know won't be able to go to um Dog Mountain but um the way we make our films is that we want people to experience what we experience so you know so this is this is a story that you could watch by yourself or with a family mm -hmm. and um and I always wanted this to have a, a feeling of like a nice warm blanket that you could yeah. kind of watch this and um, and just feel a little comfort and, uh, you know, have a good cry and think about your pets and reflect. But, you know, again, it's, you know, as, as you, you you've seen the episode, Yvonne, is that um, this isn't about um, crippling sadness. This is just acknowledging that. But um, but it's a celebration of life. Yeah, I mean, right. all of this is is celebrating because when we lose our pets, um, you know, they, um, you know, they don't have as long lives as, as people. And so, you know, it's to really appreciate um, while they're here, you know, mm -hmm. you know, yes. don't just get caught up in details of life. You know, there's, there's just moments of when you, for instance, go on a dog walk. Um, you know, I've been told many times that it's, um, it's their walk. It's not your walk. <laughs> so exactly. if they want to smell things and do, I mean, you know, embrace your pet. I, I clearly the, the three of us and, and, and your listeners, you know, we love animals. So, um, yeah. you know, so we, um, I just, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm crazy about animals and pets and, uh, um, and I just, you know, I, I, the here and now is important to me, but also, um, um, just you know, reflecting and acknowledging that 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 ride because that it's a hell of a ride when you're. With oh a pet. yes, yeah. The most important <laughs> thing is to enjoy your pet. As you say, they're yeah. not here. That's right. As long as we'd like them to be, so right. enjoy every minute watching them sniff, chasing a ball, going for a swim, whatever it is. You and know, when you're watching that episode, important. I guarantee you, if you with your your new pet, you're gonna you're gonna bring them a little bit closer, give them a little <laughs> yeah. bit, a little tighter. You need to hug. send me that link. I will. I will for sure. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. 
Well, Shelter Me doesn't just deal with um, uh, grief. It's an Emmy Award winner with currently 21 episodes, I think you said. Yes. Yep. Um, and it's hosted by uh, the likes of John Legend, Jane Goodall, uh, John Hamm, uh, Wedi Malik, I think, did to one of your episodes, Yvonne, um, to name but a few. Uh, but the real celebrities are the animals themselves, I think. Uh, animals who have overcome adversity to go on and help inmates train shelter pets to become service animals, Alzheimer's facilities to foster orphan kittens, um, military veterans who suffer from uh, PTSD, shelter and homeless dogs that are trained to do search and rescue or scent detection to help stop poaching of African wildlife. It's pretty obvious what inspired you to write their stories. How do you deal with the emotions that go with working alongside these heroes to tell the stories? Well, I'm, I'm inspired um, constantly by, um, and I'm, and I'm always um, just, you know, so, you know, just I find it again that that source of when I see um, what these animals, what these dogs are capable of, it's just it's amazing because it they they love the, the relationships they have with people. They're whether they're being trained um, to do to service dog or whether they're just you know the the best pet you ever had. Mm -hmm. um, that it's um, I I love telling those stories, but it's the groups and the organizations that that I find, I do a lot of research and I really bet them to make sure that they are, you know, um, they pass all the standards for, mm -hmm. you know, a series like Shelter Me and for PBS. So when they make it in, you know, they've, they've gone through a pretty rigorous, you know, vetting process, but Shelter Me is as much about the people as it is about the animals. So for instance, when, um, when we did, um, we did a piece where um, a, a woman that I had met um, had brought a service, um, a search and rescue dog to the to 9-11 uh, after the oh. towers collapsed. Yeah. And she realized that the country wasn't prepared enough to have these search and rescue dogs because um, these dogs are trained to find when the clock is ticking yeah. uh, people that are buried but still alive. These aren't cadaver dogs. These yeah. are, these are you know, search and rescue dogs. Yeah. And she started a, a facility. She started doing with, um, you know, with a, a working with people that were doing a breeding program, but she was saying that was taking too long to kind of do the training. So she, on her own accord, said, there's got to be dogs in the in the shelters that can do this type of work. So she's she, she started um, finding dogs that had like, um, that were like the ones that were, I've got to play with a toy. I, you, there might be food right next to me, but I want that toy. And those ones that are obsessed with the toy are the best, like yeah. search and rescue dogs. So a story like that, where you know, you got these incredible dogs that are, are capable of doing extraordinary work, but mm -hmm. an organization that is committed to um, national security. Yeah. So, because mm -hmm. um, they were in Oklahoma City during during that, um, you know, that 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 bombing as well, and these dogs, boom, can be. Mm -hmm. Now they have these task force because these are paired up with the first responders, with firefighters and whatnot, that they they can be deployed all over the country within 20 uh, to the world in like 24 yeah. hours. Mm -hmm. So Incredible. a story like that to me is, um, you know, where there's a lot of hype, very active dogs in the shelters that wouldn't necessarily be the best pet for a home, but they mm -hmm. need a job. And yeah. that just goes to show you sort of the range. So it's great for storytelling, but it's also 
I want to tell these stories because to show that there's amazing work being done uh, because the training um, yeah. is intense and amazing. But um, but also I want to you know give visibility to these organizations that are working tirelessly to get more support from them. Like Shelter yeah. Me, we never ask for money, but we always try mm -hmm. to say, please support your local your local shelter yes. or the other groups. Quite right. Um, Quite right. But yeah. we're also tackling like larger social issues through that. So when you had mentioned mm -hmm. um, the piece where we focus on an Alzheimer's facility because Alzheimer's and dementia and cognitive issues are, you know, they impact families everywhere. Yes. And, um, you know, I don't think personally, a lot of people want to sit down and watch a film about Alzheimer's, for instance, but we're able to use companion animals. And we found a program where a facility brings in neonatal kittens that need to be bottle fed. Aww. So the staff works with, you know, the um, patients there and, it's not just the idea of having companion animals around, but it's the idea of nurturing and taking care of these animals. Yeah. And families would come in and say, while you know they were doing a visit, and the cat was on the lap and they were like feeding them, and and that it was it changed the conversation. It wasn't, hey mom, how are you feeling? You know what this or that. It became, and all of a sudden memories started being unlocked, and yeah. people were talking about, you know, oh, do you remember? you know, lucky when we were growing up and all of a sudden these conversations that they hadn't had for 20 years were happening. Mm -hmm. So it, and then the cats, you know, as they uh, grew up and got healthy and they were so socialized because everybody was petting them, they mm -hmm. became the most adoptable cats in town. This was in Tucson, in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> so everybody wanted like the cats at the Alzheimer's facility. Um, but it was a really lovely way to um, talk about this really challenging condition mm -hmm. uh, because, mm -hmm. One of the things we realize is that, you know, most families um, don't have a plan. They never talk about it. So yeah. what happens is that you get to a point and they're like, well, what do we do? We don't have any. Do we have a will? Do we know what mom's or dad's wishes were? Um, are we going to put are we going to try to do it ourselves and be the caretaker at home? Or are we going to go put the person in a in a home? And and that's what I heard when we did screenings and when we it, it, the, the film aired on, across the country that people said, you know, it forced us to have you know, those conversations, we never, yeah, we very never important conversations. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, we also tackled, um, we've got a new episode coming up um, where we're able to talk about homelessness mm -hmm. again through companion animals, where we have a, a veterinarian that takes care of the pets of homeless people on Skid wow. Row in okay. Los Angeles. And it's an incredible story because, um, we were we don't make a judgment call whether homeless people should have pets or not. We because it happens about they say between estimates are between 25 and 40 percent of homeless people have pets. And that's kind of what keeps them going. And they feed their pet before they eat themselves. And yeah. there's a whole thing about it. But um, but they need veterinarian care. They need vaccines they need yeah. tick treatment and all that. And our show has the veterinarian, you know, not just talking about homelessness as this sort of giant issue of like of of that, you know, of just, we well, don't know who they're them. They're just numbers. Well, we're mm -hmm. talking to Johnny and we find out about Johnny and his, yeah. and his situation. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, again, it's um, when you're dealing with animals, you're dealing a lot with, you know, topics of compassion and empathy mm -hmm. and love. Yes. And, and Shelter Me has been able to do that. Just like when we did yes. our episode, on, we filmed in a prison, a maximum security prison for over a year. Um, and we talked about, um, rehabilitation. A lot of people look at prison as just punitive. Um, mm -hmm. And we wanted to show a program that was actually working that 
people were getting second chances authentically yeah. by putting the work in and also showing a program that had a zero recidivism rate. So the people that were getting out were not I like that. They weren't a danger in society. They were actually yeah. being productive members because the dogs had taught them uh, a lot of, a lot of life lessons that's, that's gave them love for, the, for the first time. What a success story that is. Yeah. You know, Definitely. yeah. Have you, have you always had a love for rescuing? So I, so I grew up with um, all kinds of animals, um, you know, uh, horses and dogs and cats and rabbits and uh, <laughs> chickens. And uh, um, so, um, but the, the rescuing, I, I grew up on the East coast and I, and I now live in Los Angeles. Um, I didn't know the issue of rescuing that much um, because in the Northeast, it's not as much as a problem as in other areas of the country. And so when I got to Los Angeles and I, and I started, um, you know, meeting people who had pets and I started, you know, just, you know, I was new to town and they were saying their shelters are full. And so I went to go see it myself. And that's sort of what led me to create this series because um, I didn't realize that the need is so great out there. So when I experienced firsthand, I, I had to sort of, you know, use my, uh, use my powers for good and start telling, uh, and telling these stories. So once I knew, uh, yeah, big time, I, I went sort of all in and I, you know, I'm always fostering. I've, I've had, you know, six big dogs in at one time in the house and, um, and, Sound and like me. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm all in, I mean, um, and, you know, currently I've, you know, two dogs and a cat and, um, but I'm always working at shelters across the country because, um, you know, there has been, it's better now, but there has been sort of misinformation about people think that pets in a shelter might be damaged goods or problems. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're just, um, I make no distinction between my dogs at home that are, you know, under my covers in bed to the, with the, uh, the dog that's, um, at the shelter waiting for someone to, to take them home. And I literally make zero distinction between them. Sure. And, um, so I'm, I'm a giant advocate of, um, people welcoming in more, uh, just like potato chips, you can't just have one. I welcome people to get get, get more pets. Exactly. <laughs> it's the truth. That's very well put. <laughs> yeah, well, truth. as you say, the shelters are you know overflowing, um, and not just in uh, the U.S. I mean, uh, I I'm in Europe, and it's the same story all over. Sadly. Yep. Yeah. It really. It really is. And, you know, I, and I'll be honest. I um, you know, I always tell people um. You know the shelters are a reflection of your community, and yes. it's a, it is holding up a mirror to things. And uh, you yeah. know, and if we fail our animals or um, or don't have the compassion for our animals, and I know there's lots of issues that you know that we all need to work on, and sure. environmental issues and homelessness, and and I, and I don't disregard any of those issues. But with animals, especially you know um, companion animals that that we um domesticated i think we have a deep deep responsibility to them yes. and uh so i'm um and and you know and also you see a lot of people that um their life does get in the way people um yeah. have financial issues they you know but a lot of times people might be moving or having a new baby and there's a lot that they'll give you a, there's a million reasons why sometimes people relinquish their pets to the shelter yeah and you know my concern always is um if if you can give up on a family member that easily, um, that to me, it's, um, it's sort of the, it is sort of the proverbial canary in the coal mine, which is, you know, then 
how 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 are you going to treat your neighbor, your stranger? I I think I think the way that we treat our animals is um is honestly a reflection of you as an individual and you as a community and stuff. So yeah. um and and again, that's not me, you know, finger waving. That's just saying um yeah, you know, well, I just I, I, I just think truth. we all and I think we can all do better. Yeah, I do. I completely agree. Point well taken. Yeah. Well taken. Well, Stephen, one of your followers on LinkedIn describes you as a detailed and precise producer who knows what you want and is very easy to work with. I totally agree with that, by the way. <laughs> um, but I would also add that you do everything, and I can attest to this with great love and sincere passion and um um, you bring, I, I really truly believe that you bring hope and awareness, um, to, um, to the world in these stories that you tell, um, and you tackle some, you know, issues that you have, you know, spoken about today, um, and, uh, enlightened our listeners about, um, and I hope inspired them really, um, but there's one documentary, um, and um, it's called The Mustangs, America's Wild Horses, um, and it clearly shows your passion for these magnificent creatures. Uh, the wild horse is the enduring icon of America, but in modern times, it's become entangled in controversy and bureaucracy, and now its future is in question. Um, and you worked with executive producer Robert Redford. Um, and I just I just want our listeners to learn a little bit about this project that you worked on and how it came about and and what your message to them and to us um, and you know is um, about these fiercely independent mustangs and what you personally have taken away from it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So I had um, a, a person, an actress, um, tell me about in um, Southern California saying, oh, you know, there's, um, you know, you might want to consider doing a story about these um, these wild horses that are being paired up with veterans with PTSD. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I really respect um, you know, people that have served, served our country. And, and I, and I wanted to tell that story. So I went and I just sort of, um, it was going to be a, just a kind of a small segment of, uh, oh, isn't that, this is really interesting is that, you know, you have these wild horses and you have these veterans and they're being, they're helping each other. So I went up to this organization and, um, and they were doing really great work. It's just that they, it was, it was, the, the program was still in its infancy. So it really wasn't, um, you know, ready for, you know, uh, a shelter me story or a standalone story for, for what I'm doing, but the work they were doing was, was, was great. And they were on the right path, but it got me um, exposed to the subject matter where I started asking a whole lot of questions mm -hmm. and, um, and I, and I wasn't getting a lot of answers because a lot of um, like on most issues, there's, there's sort of a couple different camps. They um, people sort of become the activists and they're the ones that are telling the story and they, and they have a very, um, you know, their own perspective, what they want people to think. And mm -hmm. then there's, um, you know, then you have other people that have other interests that are, um, say, from the ranching community um, that think of wild horses that are, you know, um, infringing on livestock. So people immediately was like, oh, they, they were in their own camps and they were trying to get people to, to, to 
get on their side. And that's not my type of storytelling. I don't do these polemics. I I want I just I try to tell these really honest stories and have people experience what we experience. Mm-hmm. So I um when I looked online and saw what was being what was done before, all, none of it to me just gave the the history. You know, yeah. like how the heck did these wild horses get here? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get to the current situation? And who are some people that are doing something about it? You know, so I kind of had very simple questions that I just wanted to get you know answered. So I decided that um, you know that this had to be a story that I that I had to tell because I couldn't just do a segment. I got I had to go all in. And and all in we did because you know we we you know this this um there's wild horses in different pockets throughout throughout the world you know they're they're in Canada you know in Australia there's there's wild horses definitely throughout in different places but what I ended up focusing on are the ones in uh, the United States that are on our federal lands so that basically the federal lands are public lands and there's um t- on ten western states there's currently approaching 90,000 wild horses that are out there all wow. by themselves. But what's amazing is in, in 1900, um, there were over 2 million wild horses across the plains. And, you know, this all dates back to the 1500s when the Spanish conquistadors came to America. And then, you know, and then there was a lot of trading with the Native Americans and horses got loose. I mean, it's a whole way how the horses sort of, you know, really got their, you know, um, the populations up in the Western part of America. But from 1900 to 1950, when the ad, you know, when we saw all of a sudden had different ways of transportation with the car, with the plane, we took that number of 2 million and the horses went all the way down to 20,000. So we literally almost made the wild horse extinct in America. And so I was fascinated by by this story. And um, so I got some really big people involved with Robert Redford and the Springsteen family. Bruce Springsteen gave me a song and we ended up getting a really amazing group that wanted to tell a really beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And so we bounced between Texas and, you know, Wyoming and Nevada and California and Oklahoma and Illinois. And this sort wow. of, you know, we went to places that are really hard to get to, really hard to, to bring camera equipment to. And, um, <laughs> And we we really um, thought of this story as um, that we were going to sort of stamp your passport and take you to places that you probably wouldn't go. And we the way we see wild horses, our cameras are rolling, so the audience sees wild horses the first time we saw wild horses. And the big oh, and then you know, and then our the third act is really the different people that are doing something about it. So, for instance, fertility control is a big big issue on this. So um, because again, the populations are just you know, getting, you know, are, are getting large for the land. You, you have to incorporate with climate change, access to water, with food, forage. Um, but the way that the government has been dealing with the numbers on the, on the range is they, they round them up periodically throughout the year and they put them in holding pins. So they break up these complex family structures and there's over 50,000 horses that are just basically sitting in feedlots, these fenced in areas that they just give hay to. So we don't have a real solution to this still. I mean, so we're, but we wanted to tell this story to let people know that the decisions that are being made today are going to impact the next 20 years. And the big takeaway for me when we told the story um, is there's a lot of people on these complex stories that just they wish things were different. 
They don't necessarily mm -hmm. want to put the work in, but they just wish. And I and I try to yeah. encourage people to, you got to step away from the wish economy. You actually have to, yeah. if you're going to play the game, you got to understand how the rules are played. And yeah. something like this, it's, it's not ideal, but you have um, a very complex government structure. These horses are stuck in bureaucracy because right. yeah. you have public lands and you have all these agencies and different and different agencies within states that are um overseeing them and it's it's just it's not there's a lot of stakeholders cuz on our public lands you not only have the wild horses you have other endangered species you have ranching so and these are people who have the right to it whether you like it or not for livestock for cows for sheep on the public lands, there's hunting, there's recreation, there's oil and gas. So you have all of these things. And the one thing that doesn't make any money are the wild horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet yeah. they're federally protected. So, you know, you have to go through Washington, D.C., where all the where all the budgeting is done. And then you deal with the Department of Interior. So our film in a very, um, very, you know, you, you'll understand the way we walk you through that whole process. And then we um, we let people know how, if they want to get involved, what they can do and how to contact your elected right, officials and be, and be really responsible. But the big thing, whether you are, whatever your passion is, um, is that, you know, life, um, life is not a spectator sport. It's a participatory sport. And yeah. on an issue like wild horses, again, you know, you see on social media and you see the, on the activists, they're always are just like, let them be free. Aren't they beautiful? Let them be free. That may be true, but you can't just hope it. And then, uh, you know, just like, yeah. Them. yeah, it's the same thing. Like with it comes with our, um, with our troops is that you can't just put, um, you can't just put a bumper sticker on and say, support our troops. You actually yeah. have to do, you know, do to so. do the work. You do yeah. have to do something about it. Yeah. You exactly. actually yeah. do have to get involved. It can't be just a wish. Yeah. You said, you know, exactly. you have to get involved in, in some way. And, yep. Um, yeah, you can't just be a keyboard uh, activist. Yeah, you got that right. That's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is your daily routine like once you start a new project? So um, first I, 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 I get lots and lots of coffee. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, so a big part of, um, you know, so... I'm an independent producer, you know, I mean, um, PBS is is my my distributor, my broadcaster for a lot of my projects, but I'm I'm an independent producer. And to do stories like this, um, if you notice on a lot of um, streaming services and on TV, um, mm -hmm. you know, these types of stories that I'm doing are getting fewer and fewer and far between um, because yeah. there's mm -hmm. um, a lot of other just um, material that is, um, you know, kind of celebrity focused and and. And so these stories, which are I, I consider deeply important, but you know we want it to be entertaining, and we want people to you know laugh and be inspired and enjoy. So we you know we make these fun and entertaining, but um, they are always a challenge because mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know for everything from you know for funding and 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 getting attention for these, but but I'm committed to telling these types of stories, and um, and so what I do is. It, it I do just a ton of reading. So what I'll do is sometimes I'll start with an idea first and I'll say, well, I'd love to find a pet that has an amazing talent and having impact in their community. And then mm -hmm. I start doing research and I'm, and then I come across 
a dog that paints in Long Island. And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. And, uh, and then, so, and, but, you know, and I, you know, I really, um, I actually found dogs that had other talents and found some dogs that other painted, but in all honesty, um, dagger work was incredible, but it was, um, Yvonne's story that sold me on it because, you know, cause she has a heart of gold, but she uh -huh. also was, it was part of, um, she became part of the community. So yes. when she and her, and it was the relationship between Yvonne and Dagger, but when she went to schools and libraries, when arts programs are being cut and then out of her own pocket, you know, she was giving kids a blank, literally canvas mm -hmm. to express themselves and then having, you know, having Dagger be the inspiration to say, it's okay. You know, don't worry how, how good or bad it is. Just, just do it. Just do yes. it. Just, just yeah. get that brush moving and, you know, and, you know, abstract art, is you can do whatever you want and the kids would light up and it was um but that's that's why the story is so important to me because mm -hmm. it wasn't just oh isn't this funny and cute that a dog paints it became that Yvonne became part of the community yes. and so that's one way of my approach but a lot of the other ways um I'm just reading and I'm and I'm you know people send me stuff I you know I have a lot of google alerts so I just see mm -hmm. things and I go down these rabbit holes and sometimes I'll spend two weeks researching something and I'm like well that's not going to work out Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, um, so I find these incredible stories. And the one thing I realized is um, the stories are endless. It takes mm -hmm. a long time to excavate them and yes. to shape them. Sure. But boy, yeah. there are so many good stories out there uh, and animals yeah. and animals and that relationship with people. Um, it drives me. I'm just like, it, it really, it really excites me. And, uh, and I, I love, I love telling you know, I love telling these stories. Um, yeah. And our canvas for storytelling, we have spoken word pieces. We use animation. You know, mm -hmm. we've done, um, you know, pieces with with music. Um, you know, we I've got a story coming up where we have stand-up comics that only do um, bits yeah. On, yeah. on like animal-related humor. And then people it. bring their dogs to the show and then they raise money for shelters. So it's like- Really? Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really, it really um, is. it's a lot of fun to tell these stories. I mean, we have- we have one story coming up, which is a about a grooming academy that mm -hmm. gives scholarships to underserved people. So people that were formerly incarcerated or people that were formerly homeless or mm -hmm. had substance abuse problems. And they go get a free ride. And these scholarships are worth like seven thousand wow. dollars and they wow. um, and they're guaranteed a job. So not only do they get to work and groom shelter pets to help them become more adoptable, but they are being given um, a second chance and the people are, are, you know, are being helped to be, get job training and to get a job. So, so those are the stories that I'm, you know, I'm always looking for and I'm always researching, mm -hmm. but it's always about um, ways that um, animals elevate us and then yeah. we do our part and, um, and help the critters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, Stephen, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Um, and I just want to know, uh, our for our listeners and for us, um, mm -hmm. what do you do in your downtime, and how do you keep physically and mentally fit for all of this work and traveling and and things that you are involved in? Well, that's that's a really interesting question. I mean, I just um, I just filmed in the last. Um, three days we um we did i was i was filming with animals and we had uh 
two uh, 12-hour production days, and then I come home wow. and I and then I'm transferring the footage, and we you know we're prepping for the shoot for the next day. So you know it's the production is and doing this type of work is really intense, and it yes. and it takes mm -hmm. it takes a whole lot. So mm -hmm. you know I mean I I I eat well. You know, I really, I think when, you know, I think nutrition um, is important um, yeah. just from a um, prevention standpoint and to, mm -hmm. and for energy. Um, and, um, and I do a lot of hiking. So I, I do a lot of stuff outside and dogs are a big part of that. <laughs> I was going to uh, say that. I was going to say, I know you did go on your dog walks. <laughs> yeah. So I do my dog walks and I go hiking. Um, you know, I do, um. I, I watch a lot of um, documentaries and movies and I, you know, I, you, can, I mean, you might be able to hear one of my dogs in the background who's uh, <laughs> talking. Aww, talking bless. Um, <laughs> and I do, um, you know, I, I, my downtime, you know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of reading for, for pleasure, but I also do, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm a, I admit that I'm a workaholic, but I'm <laughs> lucky that I'm, that I'm doing, um, something that I'm really passionate about. Like, I love what I do. Like I love um, filmmaking because it incorporates working with some of the most talented people around. And, mm -hmm. you know, I do love production, but it's all parts of it. Cause whether you're doing the research or the pre-production and then you're actually in production, then when you're editing and in post and you're crafting the film and then you incorporate, we've got the composer, you have music and then the graphics. And, and then when we do the distribution, um, like I said, as an independent producer, um, it's not for the faint of heart because no. then you do, yeah. you have to do the marketing um, for it. Sure. And you're lucky enough to have distribution like mm -hmm. I do. So people can actually, you know, see the work. Um, there's a lot of those elements um, to it. And, uh, but I guess, I, I guess I can admit publicly one of my resolutions is to actually have a little bit better balance with my personal and my, my work life. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I but, think we, we all feel that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I can, I can see where, where your work is so pleasurable. I mean, it's, it's your passion. You're living your passion and you can feel, and, and I can hear your excitement and just talking about what, you know, and what you do. So your work is really, is, is really like part of what your downtime is, you know, and if that's what it is that, you know, and if that's what makes you, you get up every day and be excited about getting up every day and, and following the next uh, wonderful storytelling episode, you know, that will bring awareness and happiness and joy and, and um uh and and open people's eyes to different ways of seeing things throughout the world i think i think that's that's a, a real success story in itself Definitely. yeah i appreciate it. yeah that's what you just said really it does it does sum up what i do and how i how i approach this work um mm -hmm. you know it's uh i like because you know we you know we do a lot of um theatrical screenings before it airs on PBS. So we bring people from the animal welfare community together. And the the feedback is um, always like people, because I want to bring, you know, the, the whole community again, not just, you know, the animal welfare community, but people mm -hmm. that, you know, care about the subject matter or can we can kind of, you know, show them a different, you know, different kind of story that they might not have seen before. But a lot of times, you know, when I, the, um, because I'm very grateful to the people that work at the shelters because they have really tough jobs yeah. is that when they feel 
that somebody shows appreciation to them or tells a great story about their work. Um, mm -hmm. That brings, I, I get a lot of, you know, gratification about that because um, I'm, I just know that for a lot of people, those tough jobs, you need to boost morale, really That's show right. authentically that you appreciate them because that goes a long way. And uh, um, there's so many people doing such great work. I've got a story coming out about feral cats, which is oh, a really wow. tough topic about cats that live on the streets and the way, you know, that, you know, they have these tough lives and it's, it's gotten, the problem's gotten worse and worse, but we feature people that are out there trapping and spending their own money and it's emotional and expensive. And it's, yeah. um, but, you know, and talk about, again, talk about invisible. I mean, these people yeah. in the middle of the night are doing this work and they care so much, um, but we are giving them a voice and showing the work they're doing and the compassion that they have. And then we always try to show a solution in our stories. So there's a facility that does the most number of spay neuters of feral cats. And we filmed this one organization doing over 200 surgeries in one day. Oh uh, my, so, wow. But, but you know, it's, it, so those stories, but um, are really important, but they also show, um, you know, that these, the people that they're, that are doing this, you know, if we can give, show them that, you know, cause they never hear thank you. I mean, so yeah. many people just yeah. never hear. Sure. Thank you. sure. And it's so and destroying in a lot of cases as well. It, it is. And wrecks their bank accounts and wrecks everything. Yeah. And it's like, so just to even just to, just to kind of, um, cause when we do a story, we, we, we care. And, oh, um, uh, and, course. and we're, we're sometimes we only show a sliver of an entire you know group of people all over the country that are doing this type of work mm -hmm. and everything. So, um, so I, I just, like I said, I, I have deep respect for so many people that are rolling that roll up their sleeves and, and, and do this kind of work. And I, and I, like I said, I, I feel like I just have the the privilege of being able to, to tell these stories and to show some of this great work that others are doing um, because it all comes back to why we're talking right now, which is love of animals. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we're grateful for you. Yeah. Well, thank definitely. you. Definitely. And if there's any way that uh, SOFA Film Festival can help um, promote any of these organizations or support in any way, you just have to reach out. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. It's about teamwork at the end of the day. Yeah, well, that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So how can people view uh, Shelter Me and follow your work on social media? Yes. So um, on social um in particular with with Facebook and Instagram, it's um, everything is the uh, the end is at uh, shelter me TV. So okay. Facebook.com slash shelter me TV and Instagram.com slash shelter me TV. Um, and then our website um, shelter me.com will be posting um, all of the um, uh, where, where you can see all the episodes. So um for, so so on the U.S. on TV, it'll be on PBS this year, but they will be putting it on to PBS.org, um, which will be accessible, you know, globally um, on the on that platform. And then we'll be slowly putting um, featuring specific episodes on ShelterMe.com. So we'll be keeping that fresh as well. So so when cool. people start checking back, we'll start posting those um, in a little bit. But um, through our social media and our website, um, all the information is uh, available. And if anyone has any good story ideas they want to suggest um you can you can reach out on the on the website it has our contact information so. oh well, there, there are quite a few uh actually uh as you probably know i run the animal heroes hall of fame so yep. i'm sure i can bring you some heroic <laughs> <laughs> animals to cover yes let's do it that would be that would be great that'd be wonderful yeah yeah, 
Well, a six-minute uh, reel of Shelter Me is currently screening on HowlingTalent.com in collaboration with Sofa Film Festival. So please don't miss it and be prepared to be incredibly touched. I have to say that the Alzheimer's patients with the kittens really did get to me. <laughs> that was one that really touched. So Stephen, one final question. If you were an animal, what would it be and why? Wow, that's a that's a great question. I um and and I would have to say um and it's not just to promote my film, but the wild horses really touched me in a way that was unexpected. Um mm -hmm. uh, because the way that when we filmed them um on the range, there was modern life was not around there were no roads there were no telephone poles we it was it was literally like it was hundreds of years ago i mean the way that where we were and mm -hmm. it, it was like it was like literally jumping into a time machine um yeah. but the serenity of being there and the calmness that i felt was um you don't feel that way when you're on the 405 freeway in los angeles let me put it that <laughs> way <laughs> um and but also the very complex family structures. So we saw um, like a, a stallion with, you know, with his harem and they would have, um, he would do a flick of the ear and then the horses would get in line. They were always aware of so many wow. things. And you just notice just by being there and observing mm -hmm. and not feeling like I got to get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. You you know, even like a Winnie would, they would be communicating and smelling yeah. in the air. And it was, it was, but it, this was like so much of evolution was baked into this present moment, mm -hmm. like this yeah. whole innate right. way that they lived. And so, you know, it's a long way of answering it. Uh, being a Mustang uh, wouldn't be a bad way uh, to, to be reincarnated because <laughs> yeah. um, their plight is challenging. Yes. But the way that they live um, so free and mm -hmm. um, and have such grace. Um, and in the film, I'll tell you one quick story is that we were um, packing up the gear, it was end of the day, they call it magic hour with a beautiful lighting, but we're like, we were done filming, we had filmed all day, we're exhausted. And in the distance, we see a cloud of dust and we're like, well, what the heck is that? And they're like, could that be, a, could they be a, a whole, be, be galloping towards wow. us? But we had a drone, so we're like, let's just get it up in the sky just in case. And we're all standing there. And then this herd of wild horses just runs by us oh, oh, and the dust oh kicking up. Wow. And and it just, it felt like a dream because then they were gone. Wow. <laughs> but Surreal. we captured it and we and we put that, wow. and we put that moment to a Bruce Springsteen yeah. song. <laughs> that is and, uh, beautiful. But, but it was, it was, um it really was, a, it was a magical experience to be with them and, uh, and you know you you really felt um, connected yeah. uh, to this animal, and it, and it and it showed you why wild horses and so many other animals really need protection, and you can't mm -hmm. just uh, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. we all have to ask ourselves as we're all passing through um, yeah. is um, are we doing enough to give back? Yeah. You know, it's yes. very it's very easy to, to take <laughs> and. Um, and a lot less easy to give. And, yeah. um, yeah. and, and I, you know, 
so I just, you know, I'll leave that as a thought of what that means to, to other people. But I, I do think um, that we all need to, uh, it's, you know, the whole short term, I don't think uh, the short term thing, I don't think on our deathbed, we're going to say, well, you know, I wish I made that extra $100 or I wish I, uh, I, I, right. I, I, you know, I like to look back saying, you know, how many, how many animals did I help? Yes. You know, to, to me, That's that would beautiful. be, that would be very rich and rewarding life at the, at the end of Definitely. the journey. Definitely. So. Well, don't forget to watch Shelter Me on HowlingTalent.com and listen to this and all our podcasts on Howling Talent and Apple and Spotify. Thank you so much, Stephen, for taking the time to inspire us. Um, it's been a privilege to host you. And we know we're going to have you back again. <laughs> when you well, have, it was a joy. I, like I said, your community and you both, um, you know, the... Uh, we all have our hearts in the right places. And I think together we can, um, we can, you know, do a lot of good things. things. Yeah. And once again, I want to say thank you, Stephen. I know that you're very, very busy all of the time, but um, this was the most inspiring podcast and yes. your words of, of uh, joy and hope uh, for the world, you know? Um, and thank you for sharing that about the wild horses too, that, that was so enlightening, yeah. you know, Definitely. an eye opener. But thank you. Thanks again, Stephen. Thank you both. Thanks to all of you for tuning in for another inspiring episode of Howling Talent. Until next time, take care.